Well, thank you, Bruce, for inviting me to come and preach here. Uh, I've got connections to the church. My wife's family, my, my wife's parents met each other at youth group here and went to this church and got married here. And my wife's grandfather apparently spotted his future wife on those doorsteps, on those church steps out there and thought to himself, she's all right, and ended up marrying her. So there is some connections between myself, the man from Rudy Hill. Now we're going to look at the question, if I'm in so much pain, how could God possibly expect me to forgive? It's a very hard topic, this. So I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we consider that person or persons who have injured us in such a way that it feels like we can't, we won't forgive them, that by your grace you would speak to us concerning that person and that you will melt our hearts and soften us to be set free to forgive and in so doing, Lord, glorify you and heal the wounds that haunt us to this very day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, human pain is like the air we breathe. It's everywhere. Every one of us has got a story to tell. We live outside the garden and after the fall and uh, you aren't a human if you've not experienced human pain. And it comes in all shapes and sizes. We've all got different stories to tell. Let me just rattle off a whole couple, of, a number of scenarios, that one of which you may identify with. The pain may come from the memories of that cruel bully that made school or the workplace an absolute nightmare. Perhaps it's the loneliness of um, sharing a bed with your spouse who doesn't know you or doesn't want to know you that sense of abandonment uh, from children who never make an effort to contact you, even though you've given them your best, the ache of never hearing a word of approval from your mum or dad, the anger at seeing your brother and sister constantly marked out as the favourite in the family, the injustice of being passed over again and again for a promotion or because you refuse to compromise and lie for the boss. The agony of being permanently disabled as a result of some reckless, drunken fool. The nightmare of living with a neighbour from hell and those two pit bull terriers. Sorry, pit bull owners. The profound betrayal of finding your spouse in the arms of another man or woman. And then the lifelong damage that is done, having been sexually molested by someone trusted in your family or in the family of God. So how is it possible with all that pain that God could ever expect us to forgive? What really is reasonable? Now for some of us we've built a fence around our pain. And uh, we've kind of said to ourselves, we've said to others, we may well have said to God, there is this, that, that what's happened to me is so bad that the pain is so deep that the deed is so wrong that God could never, should never, will never expect me to let it go and forgive. Today we're going to hear from that Jesus on this very issue. Let's, let's put the passage that was read out to us in its proper context as we hear the answer that you already know from Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus has already said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 
In chapter 17, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration has God speaking of his son. This is my son in whom I love. Listen to him. And then you turn to Matthew 18 and as you listen you discover that there are to be no limits placed on forgiveness. And Peter's question really sets the context for the parable that Jesus gives. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It's found in your church Bibles of 9.75. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter, I think, thinks he's going to trump Jesus, right, on grace, which, of course, is a stupid thing. Rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, only ever expected the Jews to forgive three times. After that, forget them. Peter is going for not four, not five, but that perfect number, seven. How gracious is he? Now, um, I might have asked that question, but also another question in addition to it. And the question I would like to ask Jesus is, how bad does something have to be before I can say, that's it? That somehow I'm exempted from this requirement to forgive. What would it be? Would it be rape? Would it be adultery? Would it be the murder of a loved one? Surely these would exempt me. Well, Jesus' answer may well feel like it haunts you in your pain today. But let's hear what he says in verse 22. To the question Peter asked, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. Or another way of saying, just keep on doing it and don't give up. I think what he's doing is recalling the words of Lamech way back in Genesis 4. And what he's doing is reversing that man's vengeful boast. Because the opposite to revenge is forgiveness. And the opposite to forgiveness is always revenge. Even if it only lies within your heart. And you may feel like God is abandoning you in your pain at this point. Because he does want it very clear that there is never a time when my disciples are ever given permission to withhold forgiveness. And if that's not clear to you, friends, can I say, you will waste all your energy trying to persuade yourself you have a right to be bitter. That's where all of your energy will go. If this is not clear to you, and to be honest, that's why some of you are exhausted. You're exhausted because you keep rehearsing the sins of others over and over to maintain that inner rage. And I tell you, it tuckers you out. I remember every time I have a, if I have a fallout with my wife, it usually happens on my day off. I only get one day a week and I blow it, usually early in the morning, and then I sulk all day trying to punish her. By the end of it, I finally come to my senses, I apologise and I think, man, I'm exhausted. It really takes it out of you because you've got to keep rehearsing the stories to keep the rage going. This is not to be an option for Christians. Forgiven people are required to forgive. Now, I have to say this because there are those of you who think there's a, there's a loophole here, right? You'll, you'll probably say to me, Ray, you're only required to forgive those people who have repented because Jesus only forgives those people who have repented. Well, I have a couple of answers for you. One, you're not Jesus. I mean, when he forgives, he has, a, he has his own death as a substitute for the sins of others. I don't see you doing that. Secondly, call it what you like. You don't have to call it forgiveness. Call it loving your enemy. You end up in exactly the same point where you're required to want good for another who has profoundly injured you. 
So with those qualifiers out of the way, let's look at the two reasons why Jesus thinks forgiveness is not an option. The first one's really tied to the amount of forgiveness we've received. And if you're not a Christian here today, we're so glad that you're here. But this is exactly, this comes to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. To understand the breathtaking forgiveness of Jesus. And then to realise, secondly, that the amount of judgement that awaits if you don't forgive. This just isn't an option for us who follow Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 23. This parable, this story goes, begins this way. Therefore the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The man's debt to the king was enormous. If you read the little footnote, those 10,000 talents, it's in the millions of dollars. Some think it's of the order of a national debt. Other commentators say it's like 60,000 working days worth of wages. And let me tell you, in a third world economy, that's some serious pesos. This was a time when you couldn't file for bankruptcy, where you and your whole family was held responsible for the debts incurred. And like this man in the parable, you and I stand in exactly the same place. You and I face a debt incurred towards God that we couldn't pay because of our rebellion. That we too look toward a punishment we couldn't bear. That we stare into a future of utter darkness and need to be liberated from. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the remake of the movie Taking a Pelham 123. It's got John Travolta's character who play, John Travolta plays a really nasty piece of work in that movie. And he makes this phrase, he says this phrase, he says, we all owe God a death. But the Bible will say, and then some. For this man is aware of the penalty that's before him and he cries out for mercy. Look at verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. I mean, really, he's got no idea. That is an impossible offer. He thinks he can pay the king off. Like many people think they can buy God off by their good works. You can't. And yet, in a godlike way, he offers this man complete, total and utter mercy and forgiveness. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that how you respond to the grace of God really kind of depends on how serious and big you think the debt is. That's kind of true in all of life. See, if I were to come to you and say, look, I've got, I've got some money here, I want to pay your electricity bill, what would be your response? You, you kind of say, that's fantastic, right? Thank you. Shake my hand. I'm really thankful. But that would be probably about it. If I were to say to you, I've got some serious money here, I'd like to um, pay for all of your kids' private education for the next couple of years. Oh, wouldn't you give me a hug and a kiss? I'd be your number one friend, at least for six months. Uh, proportionately, the, the gratitude increases the greater the debt. Now, imagine if I were to say to you, I am here this very morning to pay your mortgage in full, four, five hundred thousand, whatever it is, in one swipe. I'm prepared to do that. Man, wouldn't I be your long, lifelong friend? Who would appreciate me doing that? Just, I'm just curious. I'm just checking. Thank you. It's all theoretical with me. Sorry about that. 
The king here, you notice, doesn't postpone the payment of the debt. He doesn't say, well, you can pay me 10 cents in the dollar. He doesn't reduce the debt to, say, a third of the size. The king wipes the slate clean. Now we move into the very heart of what Christianity is about, the receiving of God's undeserved forgiveness. There is nothing you have done that you can't be forgiven for. In the words of King David in Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. In the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, love, love by its very nature keeps no record of wrongs. To forgive is to release someone from a debt incurred. Years ago in the paper I read how Australia had cancelled the debt that Egypt owed us, I think to the tune of about $200 million. And they used the word forgive. Australia forgave Egypt for a debt of $200 million. Australia was essentially saying, I know you owe this to us, but I'm no longer holding you accountable to that debt. You are set free from it. And brothers and sisters and friends who are here, you and I, we owed a debt we just couldn't pay. And at the cross, Jesus had paid that debt that he didn't know and the debt was paid in full. See, why does Jesus put no limits on the amount of times you ought to forgive others? I'll tell you why. Because he has put no limits on the amount of times he has had to forgive you. There is nothing you have done that he won't forgive. He puts no limits on you. He requires you to put no limits on another. And it's not just that you know, God forgave us in Christ Jesus, so forgive others. It's not that forgive because Christ forgave you. That's true. That's actually a direct quote from Scripture. No, it's forgive because Christ forgave you for so much. And if we withhold forgiveness from another, what it's saying is this. It's saying that you have absolutely no idea what God has done for you. You have no idea how hot hell is. You have no idea of the sheer cost it had on Jesus to endure the horror of the, of the cross. You have no idea of how badly you have treated God. And can I say, you have no idea that followers, for followers of Jesus, this is not an option. Now let's look at this ungrateful man in verse 28. What does he do with this breathtaking forgiveness that he has received? Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A couple of loose change, a couple of bucks. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, this dude's normally called the unmerciful servant, but really, he's an ungrateful sod. In fact, that's what ought to be the title of the paragraph. The ungrateful sod. Forgiven so much, forgives so little. He didn't grasp the fact that he wasn't a king, he was a fellow servant. They walked the same road. He was playing king at this point. He didn't notice that the very words that the guy was speaking to him with, were the very words that he was speaking to the king. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell on his knees, begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. And he probably could have paid him back. But instead of pity and forgiveness, this ungrateful sod chokes the man and throws him into prison. His name was Albert Tetzler. 
I remember hearing his story on the radio in the mid-90s. He won a lottery in the United States. He won $7 million. $7 million. $7 million. $7 million. It's a lot of money. I'm sure it's not just because I come from Rudy Hill. There's a lot of Bezos. But you know what? Two years later, he was arrested, charged, arrested, charged, and sent to jail because he refused to pay child support to the tune of $35,000. $7 million, $35,000. He could have been, and for his own kids. Now, who thinks that's pathetic? That's pathetic, right? But I tell you, it's not as pathetic when we who have received, when we've been rescued from that place of utter darkness, knowing that we're completely forgiven, decide to let the grace of God be swamped by our pain and say to another who, have, who has injured us, no way, there is no way I'm going to forgive you. Now, can I say, this requirement of forgiveness as part of discipleship for Jesus, being a follower of his. This is not saying that the sin incurred is not a serious matter. It's not saying that the pain you have is not real and that it matters to God and that he wept when you were being sinned against and he was furious at the person who sinned against you. He's not saying that you ought not take the matter to court if that's what's necessary and that the person ought and that you ought to testify in court and the guy ought not or girl ought not to be thrown into jail. In fact, if anything, that's probably where the church has profoundly failed and I'm so glad for the Royal Commission. Uh, it's not saying that there isn't comfort found in the fact that justice is served sometimes in this age, but definitely when Jesus returns. In fact, one of the great comforts for a believer is knowing that God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. You can relax, get on the business with forgiving them because I've got this in hand and I will take care of them ultimately. No one gets away with it at the end of the day. But what it is saying is this, that your real experience of injustice, profound as it is, functions like loose change compared to the grief and the pain you have inflicted upon God himself. That's the point here. That's the disarming element of this parable. That's the thing that stops me from banging my fist and building that wall and saying, I am not going to forgive this person. Because this is just not an option. The king in this parable finds out that this man who had received so much grace from him decides to withhold forgiveness and he is furious. The king is furious. We pick it up at verse 34. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, can I say righteous anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Are you listening here? Especially those of us who've built that wall around our pain and said, there is no way God will require me. There is no way God should require me to forgive. Are you listening here? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? Well, shouldn't you? 
in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Notice that curveball that he throws in there? It's a really beautiful prayer right up until you get to forgive us our sins, like that one, as we forgive those who sin against us. You wonder, that's a very dangerous prayer to pray. You're inviting God to treat you on the basis of how you treat others, to forgive you on the basis of your forgiveness of others. You see, grace and judgment just demand forgiveness. And then Jesus ends the story and he now moves out of the parable. So if you think, oh man, you've missed the point of the parable. Let me tell you, this is Jesus' commentary on the parable, right? So we're now out of the parable and now he's commenting on the story. Verse 35. He says this, in terms of dealing with the man who refused to forgive, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, to be fair, he's speaking about life within, amongst the people of God, those who follow Jesus, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. But we know from other parts of Scripture that this call is actually open-ended. Inside, outside the church, this is the requirement. And what he's saying is if your gratitude to God is not able to drive you to forgive others, then let the fear of the Lord do it. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of us unless we unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Resist the idea that you are only a victim of other people's sins. You are that, but you're not just that. You are a victim of grace. Don't despise the kindness of God and trample on it by refusing to forgive. Now, let that settle for a moment. It's a really hard sermon, this, isn't it? I have no problem about connecting with you at this point because it's all of us. I do need to say this. I have no answer for you why God specifically did not step in and answer your cry for help when someone may have touched you in places you should not have been touched. Especially if it went on for weeks, months and perhaps years. I don't have an answer for that. Maybe the guy preaches in a couple of weeks will, but I don't. But what I do know is this. The one who is telling you today that if you follow Jesus, forgiving others is not an option. The one who says that to you, he's on his way to the cross where he himself will be abused, stripped, naked, fastened to that cross, spat on by the very spit that he had created, pulverised by the very fist that he had made, by the very men who he had formed in his image, who desecrated him and left his body to hang there as Jesus himself incurred the penalty, not just for the sins that were levelled against you, but by your own sins. And on top of all that, you know why God, I think, doesn't allow us, allow this issue to be an option for us? I touched on it before. I think it's because he really doesn't want you to waste your life filled with bitterness. Having to play those stories over and over again intentionally. I know they pop up, but when you don't forgive, you go looking for them. You go revisiting them and you become trapped by them. Lewis Smedes wrote a very good book on forgiveness and he said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover 
that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Because every day, every hour you refuse to forgive another, you're simply allowing the sins of the past to become the sins of the present. You're allowing them to hurt you again and again and I think Jesus does not want you to keep doing that to yourself. doesn't want you to keep doing that. Really, the only person I can see who wins when we don't forgive is Satan. I think he's the only winner in the story. Now, don't mishear me. I know revenge can be sweet. Hmm? There is a quota of pleasure to it, especially if you get away with it. Um, in fact, I was reminded of that when I read this. I picked up this book the other day and it told the story of a U.S. senator, a speechwriter for a U.S. senator. And uh, he'd been working for him for a couple of years, doing a really good job, and he felt it was time for a raise. So he went to the U.S. Senate and said, look, I'd like to, I, I, I think I'd be doing a decent, half-decent job, and I, I'd really like the opportunity to have my pay increased. The senator said to him, basically, you know, just keep writing the speeches, fobbed him off, and didn't even consider the, the, the legitimate request. Anyway, I'll read it to you. The next day, the senator had a major address on television, and he started reading the first page of the speech. Today, he intoned, I'm going to tell you about the four major problems we face as a nation. And he went down the list. Then he said, now, I'm going to tell you what I propose as the solutions to these problems. He then turned the page and it said these words, okay, USOB, you're on your own. (laughs) I know revenge is sweet. And gets a good laugh. But only for the moment. No one wins except Satan. No one has ever been moved in the direction of Jesus as a result of Christians holding on to their bitterness and refusing to forgive. But I can't tell you in the 22 years of ministry that I've been involved in and the 30 plus years as a Christian, all those great saints, brothers and sisters, who faced injustices, were prepared to forgive and had others observed their Christ-like behaviour and been attracted like moths to a light. Jesus wants you to know the freedom it gives you and the glory it gives him. But of course, there is no freedom unless, see the words in verse 35, forgive from the heart. This is not a pretend forgiveness. I know we're really good at it. We sort of run this double life, outward, inward, kind of uh, tension. You know, forgiveness is not denying the pain or laughing it off or pretending it doesn't matter. And for those conflict avoiders amongst us, and that's probably most of us, that's not forgiveness where you kind of sidestep the issue. It's um, not that sort of dutiful response where you go through the external motions but deep down you curse the person in your heart or at least take pleasure in the fact that something bad has come to them. No, forgiveness is from the heart. I don't know if you know the story of Jan Roth. She's a Roman Catholic woman in Adelaide, a Christian woman who was one of those 200,000 women who got raped during World War II. I didn't know that. 200,000 women were raped during World War II. It's probably more than that. She was one of them. She tells the story as a young girl along with 10 other girls uh, where she and a bunch of other, uh, uh, she and the other girls were systematically raped over a 12-week period by Japanese soldiers. 
and uh, in her writings, she just reflects on it and talks about her journey of forgiveness. And she has this simple sentence. It's, it's not so much profound as just so true. She says, as a Christian, you can't hold hate in your heart forever. And she understands. I know she knows my Jesus. You, as, as a Christian, you can't hold hate in your heart forever. You can try doing it but you're not living up to the call of Jesus. Now, I think we know, there's been enough conversations around to know that I think we've all learned forgiveness is a process, not just a one-off decision. Those stories keep rearing their heads because forgiveness is not forgetting. Though I do notice though when people go on the journey of forgiveness, the memories tend to subside somewhat. It doesn't mean that you don't set boundaries against around that foolish person who, if they're still in your life, keep injuring you. We know that it takes one person to forgive, but it takes two to be reconciled. But what, I think what Jesus is saying is, is that forgiveness is about wanting good for that person who has injured you from the heart. And if they're not a Christian, that you'll be praying that they are a Christian and come into fellowship with you for all eternity. Now you're thinking here, Ray, I, I am nowhere near this. I have absolutely no desire to want to forgive. Well, perhaps you start the journey, and that's what it is, a journey of forgiveness that begins with, Lord, a prayer. that goes something like this, Lord, I do not want to forgive this person. I don't even want to start the journey. So can you please help me to want to start the journey? At some point, I can't push it back any further than that. I sort of, that's really the beginning of it. Even if you don't want to start the journey, at least pray that you want to start the journey. Somehow, get on this road. Because friends, this is not a question of when, sorry, of if. If you love Jesus, this is a question of when and how. Let God get his glory. Do yourself a favour. Make Jesus look good and start this journey. And you know, before the big stuff happens in your life, start learning from the small stuff. Gladys Staines is that uh, missionary, uh, was a missionary in India, in Orissa, in India. Her and her husband and kids were there serving as doctors and uh, working amongst lepers there. And you may have heard the story in the, um, about roughly about 10 years ago, where some extremist uh, Hindus had uh, set her husband and two boys alight in a car that they were sleeping in and they burned to death. And uh, we interviewed her last year at church and uh, I've been wanting to meet her for so long because she was known for her public declaration that she had forgiven the men who were involved in that crime and that injury. I mean, they needed to be dealt with by the law and they were, but she made a public statement that she'd forgiven them. And I said to her, I said, how is it that you're able to forgive? And she said, she said I think what helped me forgive these guys was that Throughout my life, I think I, I learnt the lesson to forgive the small things in life. So when the really big one came, she was already equipped to be able to handle by the grace of God. It's not a question of if, if you love Jesus. It's a question of when and how. Why don't we just pause for a moment. Perhaps close your eyes, bow your heads if that's uh, helpful for you. And just take a moment to reflect on what God has said to you, what the Lord Jesus has said to you this very morning.
may want to quietly echo this prayer in your own heart to God as I pray it in the first person. Oh, dear Father, help me to want to start the journey of forgiveness. For my heart is filled with bitterness and pain towards that person we both know about. Help me to realise that forgiveness is not an option. Not after being forgiven so much from you. And help me to not only want to forgive, but to forgive from the heart. Help me to realise that your way is always the best way. And so by your grace and by the power of your spirit, I do want to forgive. I want to forgive for your glory. I want to forgive for my good. And I want to forgive for the good name of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Are we on there? Thank you, Ray. And let me just say, if you're sitting here this morning and you need someone to pray with after what you've heard from God's word, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, please do come down the front afterwards because I know it's a very difficult topic when uh, this often gets raised. So please do take that opportunity. But we're going to finish with a song and uh, it's our collection song for our regular members and it's a chance also to put your Connect cards in. So please do that, but let's stand and just rejoice in the God who loves us and who forgives us in the Lord Jesus.